Uh, you can turn to Psalm 23, but just before we get there, I just want to explain to you what is going to be happening with our upgrades of the, the tech stuff. Um, where to begin? Okay, so when COVID hit and we had to stop meeting and we had to start doing online things, we realized very quickly, we, we probably knew this, but we didn't really have to do anything about it, uh, that we were not equipped to do those things. Uh, and so through some generous people who lent us equipment that we needed to make things work as well as we could, uh, we were able to do that. Uh, but of course, that equipment had to go back to those who lent it to us. And so now we're at the place where we're looking for some long-term fixes uh, for some of those issues. Uh, should we have to uh, go back online for any length of time, this would prepare us to be able to do that without interruption. And the audio and the video quality would be much, much better than it has been. I know that uh, some of our people did mention several times that the audio quality was very difficult. Uh, and, and Shayla especially spent hours uh, trying to edit those videos and, and do what we can. But we were very limited with the software and, and the tech stuff that we had. So uh, that's part of it. Um, so it'll be able to be live streamed. We're, Shaw Internet is coming hopefully on the 20th. And we'll be able to download at you know, normal speeds. Uh, our internet here has been a, a problem since day one. And so that's kind of step one. Uh, of that and then we're getting like Lee mentioned some cameras some um, all kinds of little router tech things that go from this to this to this to this so everything works so everyone who will be able to be an, over there will be able to see what's going on in the screen simultaneously um, as well as our Sunday school will be able to benefit uh, from this um, and it opens us up to a lot of future possibilities about conferences, being able to rent out this side of the, the building when we can, and close this screen for different things happening. So there's all kinds of ideas and, and long-term uh, plans that we have for this. And so with technology comes money, unfortunately. And this is one of those things that in today's world, your computer has a shelf life, right? And, and your soundboard has a shelf life. And all these things, they're not made to last long, uh, unfortunately. And so that's why we're kind of coming to you. We've uh, asked a company to come. They're going to start tomorrow, actually, with, with the various things that need to be done. So we're kind of in faith going ahead, saying, Lord, please provide what we need to provide for this, uh, because we just our board just was convinced that this was a good thing for us moving forward and would prepare us to be able to minister more effectively in the Bow Valley. So the whole project uh, is around $6,000 to do everything, to get everything installed. And so that's kind of what we're aiming for. So if, as Lee mentioned, if you would like to help with that, you can do that uh, whether you throw it in the plate or whether you do it online. Uh, one quick clarification, it's called special project, not technical project. So uh, not that that really matters. We'll figure out what you mean. But uh, you can do that online if you want to click on our give link. And, the, and then there's the general fund. There's our chili night and lunch to go. And then there's also now our special project that you can donate there. Or if you just put it in the plate, you can just write that on your tax receipt. And all of those things, of course, are tax receipted as normal. Um, but that's kind of the long-term picture of what we're doing. We're trying to be a little bit more proactive now, realizing that we just have some, some needs to take care of if any of these things are going to happen in the future. So let me pray, and then we will start through, uh, through the book of Psalms here. God, thank you for this morning. God, what a privilege it is for us to be able to worship you. And as we just saw in the video, 
uh, from our missionaries up in the Yukon. God, we know that there's many challenges, and even sometimes when we think we have a solution, there's other issues at play that we don't know about. And, and so, God, we just pray for the community uh, in Whitehorse specifically and for our other missionaries as well, of course. Would you be at work in and through them? Would, would you give them an ability to adapt uh, to the changes that are necessary so that they can continue to minister and reach out with the gospel to the communities that you have called them to? God, for now, as we open scripture and as we look to see what you have in it for us this morning, we pray that even though this may be very familiar to most of us, we pray that you would help us to see this with new eyes. Would you reveal something to us this morning that perhaps we've known for a long time, but we need to be reminded of? God, we know these are your words to us. These are not man's words. And so they come with authority and they come with sufficiency. And so, God, we just pray that in these moments as we share together reading and and studying through this, that you would just encourage and challenge our hearts and, and help us to mature in our faith. Amen. So last week we finished through our, uh, our series through the seven kind of core essential doctrinal statements of the AGC, which is the group of churches that we belong to in Canada. And, uh, and then I, as I was kind of prepping and planning through that, I realized that there's only three weeks between that and Advent. And it's crazy, like 2020 has been this weird anomaly of like it's been the longest year. And then yet you kind of like, where did it go at the same time? And so we just have three weeks. And so I was kind of thinking, um, if you've come to this church before, you know that kind of how I typically do things is we just, we pick a book of the Bible and we just study through it. And it's very difficult to do that in three weeks with any of the books. And so I decided, let's just go through some, some very familiar Psalms. Sometimes, as I mentioned Sometimes the things that are very familiar to us that we've heard over and over, perhaps that we've memorized, uh, can sometimes just become repetitive in the sense of we just know it and it just comes off of our tongue and we don't slow down and think about what those words actually mean. And so we're going to look at three very, very familiar psalms. This one this morning, Psalm 23. Uh, I would probably argue outside of John 3.16, this is probably the most well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, and so there's some good to that is that we're familiar, we know it, but I hope that as we go through this, we can remind ourselves that, that this is very timely. These things are God's truths that are not just for David in this one moment, but that these things are true of us right now in the situations that we face as well. And actually, as I was preparing uh, for this this week and kind of studying through and making my notes, I had several people call me and ask to go for coffee and just discuss some, some very serious things going on in their lives. And I realized that as the week went on and more and more of these conversations happened, is many of us, and I don't want to speak for you, so I'm not going to say all of us, but I know that many of us are just really struggling with this fatigue of everything's different and we're not sure how to kind of adapt all the time in these things. And frankly, sometimes we're just sick of the regulations that are in front of us and and we wish it wasn't so and we wish things could go back to normal and and all of that stuff takes a toll uh mentally and what i've noticed too is spiritually and, and maybe you can relate to this is when you're under great duress or great stress or difficulty those are the times it can be easy to kind of drift in our spiritual life we can forget 
to open scripture and we can forget to spend time uh, with God in prayer because there's so many other things going on and, and, and we don't intend it to happen. It just sometimes does. And these are the moments where I think going back to very familiar texts that remind us of truths that we kind of know intellectually. You've, you've heard this. Not, nothing I'm going to say this morning is new or nothing is going to be this moment where you write down something like, wow, Greg said this. If any of that happens, that's because the scripture says it, because God is speaking to you, not, not because of me. These truths in Psalm 23, I hope, will help us anchor ourselves to God in the midst of some of these struggles and some of the difficulties that we're facing, some of the uncertainties, but will also remind us that in the midst of all of this, we have hope. So let's read uh, together just these six verses, and then, and then we'll look through them kind of one at a time. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, this can be a very, very familiar passage, and, and it's one that um, in its specific context is kind of pigeonholed into something that it's not necessarily intending to say, at least not just intending to say. So what this is often used as is when someone's in the hospital in their last moments or at a funeral, something of that, that end-of-life moment. And I think that when we do that with any specific passage, because that's familiar, that's, what, that's when we've heard it, and so that's when we're reminded of it, sometimes we start to assume, impl- or assume um, what the author is intending to say to us, and we get so narrow-minded on it that we lose sight of kind of the broader, more general. And so I was reading through this. I came across uh, commentator Tremper Longman, and he wrote this. He's talking about the the kind of the end-of-life application of this. He says, This specific application arose from the translations of verses 4a and b, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, and verse 6c, as I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These renderings are now considered doubtful, with the result that Psalm 23 has a much broader application to all who suffer in difficult times. Of course, those difficulties include sickness and death, so the psalm is rightly engaging to those who struggle with their mortality. And so while that is true, it's not the only part of it that's true. That's not the only aspect. And so as I was reading this over and over and over, I was trying to take myself out of that context, which is so familiar, and especially as a pastor who has attended a lot of funerals, is this is kind of where I hear it over and over and over again. And so to take myself out of that and recognize that this is not necessarily what it's trying to say to us. If you read through David's life, now we're not sure exactly when David wrote this, but commentators basically agree across the board now that this is not the end of his life, but this is a specific moment of hardship, difficulty, suffering, whatever it might be. And if you know the life of David, you know David had kind of a life that did this. 
there were great highs and moments of just incredible joy. Uh, God did amazing things in and through David. But there was also moments of deep despair and doubt and darkness and sin. And he had to deal with many of these things. And so regardless of, of when this is written, and I, and I think often when we try to make Scripture say something it doesn't, we lose sight of this. So David doesn't say when this is happening, and I think that's good. Because that reminds us that this can be applicable for my own issues right now with whatever I'm facing, whether that is in difficulty or whether things seem to be going fairly well. So David begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, again, if you know the life of David, this is very personal metaphor to David, is David was a shepherd. David cared for sheep, for his family, uh, and and in fact, in First Kings, we read about various scenarios where the lion or the bear would come and attack. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, what's one sheep, right? Like, here's your food, go on, have a good day. But David says he fought them, right? Like he cared for. And he would, he would use whatever was at his disposal to fight and to protect and to care for that lamb, regardless of which lamb it was. And so when David writes this, the Lord is my shepherd, it's got this very personal ring to it. David's saying, you are my protector. You are the one who cares for me. And probably even more so, you are the one that gives me everything that I need. As David is a shepherd, uh, and, and I don't have any firsthand knowledge of this, but as you kind of read, anybody work with sheep before? Evidently, not very smart. Uh, in fact, there's debate that perhaps they're the most, uh, I don't know if dumb is a very fair word to use in a sermon, but uh, not the smartest animals, and they'll just kind of, you know, walk off into danger because they're just not aware. And, and I think it's interesting that often in Scripture we're used with that metaphor. Could have used a smarter animal, but maybe that's because we're not as smart as we think we are. I, I think God uses these moments to humble us, to show us that, you know what? We have a lot in common here. And David is saying that just like the sheep need a protector and a caregiver and someone who will provide everything with they need, so do we. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. That, that wording, I shall not want, is, is kind of this strange thing that if you read it and you go, actually, I want lots of different things, if we're honest. Right? But what it's trying to say to us is I have need of nothing that God gives me everything. Uh, another translation says this, I lack nothing. And I think that's a deeply, deeply convicting truth, is that I lack nothing. Everything that I need, God has provided me for. And, and when we start to think of it in that context, in the biblical truth, rather than the cultural reality that we find ourselves in, is I don't need most of what I have. I don't. I think I do. I like, to, I like to blend in with the culture around me, and so if I see somebody that, that has more than me, I immediately want to fit in with that. And all that is is that's sin nature trying to say, you need, you need something more. God isn't sufficient, you need something more. But all through Scripture, what we read is men and women who are willing to give their very life, and, and Apostle Paul being an example of saying that to die is actually gain. Because to be with the Lord is far greater than to be here. 
I think David's trying to make himself see perspective with the big picture, not in the moment. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then he says a couple of things. He says he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness. So there are a couple things that, that I thought of while I was thinking about this. Is One of this, so leads me... Uh, besides still waters and makes me lie down in green pastures. This imagery of rest is there. Now, show of hands, how many could have used another hour or two of rest last night, right? Like, like the majority of us, right? Is we're constantly saying, if only there was a few more hours in the day, then. But really what we're saying to God, right, is you screwed up. I need more. I think the bigger picture is that what we choose to spend our time and our efforts on so often is not placed in the right things. Rest is a very important aspect of life. And in fact, you read it in all the way back in Genesis 1 that God rests from. When he gives the Ten Commandments, he gives one of the commandments of taking a day of rest and honor to the Lord. Don't do things that are of you, but focus on who he is. We need rest. But I think sometimes we misinterpret what that rest is. And we think, you know, if only I could have a, a week holiday and just not have any responsibilities at home or, or not have to go to work this week, then I would be rested and I would be good. And, and maybe that's true short term. But have you ever found that you go away on an extended holiday? What happens when you come home? There's more to do than when you left, right? It's like, it's, it's, I always say this, right? Is typically I take Monday off. That's my day off. And it's great when you end up having the long weekend and then there's like, oh, there's another day. Now I can take a different day. I have two days off this week. This is great. A except that you still have to accomplish the same amount of work. And so you got to be like so efficient that week that you're exhausted by the time the next week comes. Is, is this idea of vacation providing any, time of, or any type of long-term rest is short-sighted and misses the point. Yes, you do need some vacation. Yes, you do need some time with your family to just go away and not have to worry about work or chores or all those things. Those are all good things, but those are all short-term things. When I read through this, uh, Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 came to me where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the simple truth, is I desperately need Jesus. Because he's the only source that gives me actual sustaining rest. And, and perhaps you've found this to be true, especially with uh, maybe those of you following the election in the States this past week, and there's just, there's, it's just a firestorm, right? It's just chaos and, and just loads of stress. Is what I have found is that when, I'm, uh, when my focus is distracted, and I start to invest too much time in anything, whether that's, right, what's happening on social media or in the news or, or perhaps even kind of my own hobbies or interests. But whenever I take too much time away from God and focus on something that does not last, it always leads to fatigue. And it always leads to me being exhausted. Stress has a way of doing that. And, and our, a group of pastors met in Calgary the other day, and, and we were talking about this, is that COVID so 
one of the things that it's done is it's distracted us so much that we've gotten focused on things that aren't as essential as things that should be. And all that's done is caused us massive amounts of fatigue, discouragement, frustration, all those things. And what Jesus is saying is come to me. Focus on me. Bring your hurts and your cares and your concerns to me. Now, they don't all just immediately get all better. But what I hope it does is it gives us perspective and we start to realize the things that really matter versus the things that don't. If you're anything like me, um, sometimes I'll, I'll go to bed at night and I'll know that there's a light that was left on. Anyone ever done this? And then you have that argument with yourself. It's okay. It's okay. It can stay on. But then you know what's on. Now I can't sleep. And then you argue, if I would just get up and turn it off, I'd probably sleep, but then I'm, but I shouldn't have to do that, right, in this, no, just me? Okay, so this is what happens in my head. This is what happens in my head, right? And it just causes me, all, and if I just would deal with it, it would be done. And in the same way, if I would, when I'm going through stress and hurt and pain and suffering, if I went, I need perspective in this moment, and I need to go to him who actually gives rest. Again, it doesn't mean those problems go away, but hopefully the severity of them, at least in the context of how important I think they are, lessens. And I realize that there's lots else that is good. There's lots else going on in my life that is positive and hopeful. David says that God leads us in paths of righteousness. And, and actually the wording here in the Hebrew is interesting because it's, it's not in a sense of a burden, but actually a blessing. Sometimes we can read this or, or even just think about, oh, I have to do what's right and I have to do what's good. And it can be this, this sense of weight upon us. But what David's saying is it's actually a blessing because it keeps me focused on what is true and what is good. I remember when I was in high school, there was a, there was a group uh, band that came out called Mainstay. I don't, I don't know if they even managed to last very long, but they wrote this one very uh, intriguing song, and it's, the lyrics say this, I keep on chasing the wrong things and coming up empty. This is not who I'm supposed to be. And that's the reality that many, many face. Is they're chasing after fame or fortune or possession or popularity or whatever it is, and, and inevitably they find the same thing true over and over again, is that does not fulfill or provide any lasting satisfaction. It's temporal, and then it's gone, and then we need the next thing. Is uh, Rockefeller at the end of his life was the richest man alive, right? And he said that his wealth had no meaning and he regretted it because it didn't provide any kind of long-term thing. It was this chasing after, chasing after, and then he found out at the end that it was pointless, worthless. What are you chasing after in these moments? Or are you being led in the paths of righteousness? When we're being led by God and we're going down the path that he has called us to, and we are doing the things that he has called us to do, we will find far more meaning and purpose and blessing. One of the great examples is, and I'm going to pick on Jim and Selena a little bit, is if you ever come here on Tuesday and, and see Lunch to Go, like they're just in their element and they're just serving and they just love it. And I know it's probably stressful for them. I know that sometimes they probably don't want to get up and come to it. But when you see them here, what you see is God blessing others through them. And I hope blessing you guys in that same point. When we serve and when we do things for other people in the name of Jesus, it always is something that impacts us with this positivity. 
Shayla and I have taken many uh, youth groups down uh, to serve in missions, and I've said this before, but there's always this moment where there's introspection, where there's realization of what's important, and never you, they just they love it. They want to go serve. And, and you as parents, right, your kids, you probably can't get them to do chores at home. But then we would find that, man, they just want to serve. They just want to serve. Because when we start to see it from the context of I'm doing something for God, the blessings that come out of that, even in our own idea and understanding of what it means to live and find purpose and meaning is so true and so good. But then it says, the last little bit here uh, in verse 3, why does he do all these things? He does them for his name's sake. And, and this is a, a point of theology that's actually very important for all of us to understand. Is the reason that God does all these things is so that he would receive glory and honor. And I've had many conversations with people who go, well, that, that seems like almost narcissistic. That there's this God who needs us to to find validation in all these things. But we're only reading it in that context because of our hearts and our minds is if we can step back from that and realize that if the only thing that's going to provide anyone with comfort and with joy and long-term satisfaction and ultimately eternity with God is God, then isn't that the thing we want declared the most so that people see it and they say, I need that. I want that. And so when we do right, when we do good, when we're led down the paths of righteousness and people see what we're doing, the prayer always is not that they would go, wow, Greg is really good at this or, or this other person's really good at this. No, it would be, why would they do that? Why do they care so much? Why are they so concerned with other people? And we can then point them, the reason that we do this is all for his name's sake that he would receive glory, that he would receive honor. Because when you see that, you see the one thing that will give you hope and a purpose for the rest of your life. It's not narcissistic at all. It's only narcissistic if God isn't actually the greatest thing. But he is. Then we come uh, to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So again, this is why sometimes this passage is, or, or often I should say, this passage is looked at as this idea of death. But the Hebrew could be rendered here, uh, I just want to find out my notes, the valley of deep darkness. It, it doesn't necessarily imply this death uh, imminently, but this deep darkness, this spiritual and, and physical and emotional and mental, all this where you're just trapped and, and you don't feel like you have any hope or any way out. And perhaps many of you have felt that in, in moments throughout your life or seasons of your life where you don't see the hope, but you just feel overwhelmed and you've got nothing left, is know that David felt that too. And it isn't in this moment where he is, is feeling that and so he goes, but it's all okay. No, he has to remind himself, God is still with me in this moment despite how I feel. See, our feelings betray us so often, and that's why knowing Scripture, praying Scripture, reading Scripture is so vitally important because it focuses us back on what is true rather than on how we feel in that one moment. Our perspective isn't always the correct perspective and isn't always a good perspective. And so we need to remind ourselves of the truth. In Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, it says that the Lord will never leave us and he will never forsake us. 
So in those moments where it feels like God is absent, we need to remind ourselves that he is not. He is faithful and he is with us despite the hurt and despite the pain. The crazy thing uh, that I thought of when I was looking at this is, is David says, even though, that's it, even though, so what's the implication? Not if, when, right? Is hurt, suffering, pain, all of these things are going to happen. And so if we develop a, a biblical theology of how to suffer and how to suffer well and that it actually, God is going to use that suffering for our good and for our growth, if we start to view things from that context, then we will start to learn how to suffer well, and we won't throw a pity party when something bad happens to us. We'll look at it with the sense of God is at work despite what's happening. And ultimately, it's for my good. We, I talk about this all the time, but Romans 8 says this to us, right? It said everything is ultimately for our good. Now again, my good is not necessarily that I would just have no pain and no hurt and no difficulties and no financial problems and no mental health issues or any of those things. My good is that I would draw closer to Jesus because that's what's most important. So David says, even though I walk through all this, I will fear no evil. In other words, as Paul said again in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Now again, right? Paul is not saying that you can just go do whatever you want because no one can touch you. He's trying to say no one can touch your soul. You were bought at a price with Jesus' blood. And he will not forsake you. And so no matter what happens to you, if life is taken from you, is Satan has no authority over you to take your soul if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord. So what can the world do to us? Yeah, it can kill us. But that means we'll be with Christ forever. And if we really think that's greater than the earth here, that should help to give us some kind of a perspective. Now, I'm not saying that means that you should just like never worry about dying and never don't be prepared or don't plan or don't have life insurance or all those things. All that is really reading into what scripture says. What it's trying to say is it should not consume us and we should have hope and we should know my hope is in the Lord because nobody can take that hope from me no matter what they do to me physically. David then gives us kind of two things that God does, his rod and his staff. And so I had to kind of look this up, but this is what it says. is A shepherd's rod was used to defend the sheep from attack, and the staff was used to navigate the sheep through difficult terrain. What a beautiful kind of picture that is for us is that God is there to defend us and protect us, but he's also there to navigate us through difficult terrain. Is if I'm really honest with you, right now, it's a difficult terrain to navigate. There's so much happening in the world, and so much of it we're not sure what's accurate and what's true, and you can get down a real, you could fall down the rabbit hole real fast. And what I need to remind myself is that God will navigate me through this. And so I look to him for wisdom, look to him for direction, and for hope. Then in verses 5 and 6, we go from the Lord being our shepherd, right? That uh, kind of, as Lee said, there's, there's several things happening here with kind of the names, but one of the metaphors is the shepherd, and now it moves to the metaphor of a host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You're, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. 
you know what? I missed something here. Before we go there, I would be uh, remiss, and I guess I almost was. I don't know if that's correct. Can you have been remiss? I'm not sure. Anyway, when we read something like this, to understand that, yes, David lived in Old Covenant times, and he lived under the law in different ways, but these truths are always manifested forward into the life of Jesus. And so when you look at John chapter 10, when Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep, is that we see what David's talking about from this looking ahead to what God is doing. We get to look and go, here's what Jesus has done for us. He has lived perfectly for us. This, what is a metaphor for David, Jesus now talks about so that we can see our salvation only comes from the person of Jesus Christ who literally did what the shepherd does. He laid down his life. He sacrificed himself in our place. He was our substitutionary atonement. He was the one that stood in between so that we could find life so that we could be with him. Okay, really quickly now to the, to the host metaphor. This is why I should number my pages, I guess. When we think about um, this idea of being a host, um, this is something that perhaps in our culture um, is maybe not as important as it has been in the past. Um, this idea of being uh, very neighborly and knowing all the people that kind of live in your area and sharing life together. I hope you're able to do uh, that. But I remember as a kid, uh, I went from door to door to door to door with uh, last minute, oh, we need a cup of milk. Anybody remember these times? Maybe that's just if you're Mennonite and grew up in a Mennonite town. But I just remember, it's like, go to this person's house. Go to this person's house. They'll give it to you. We'll give it back to them. It'll all be good. There was just this sense of a community, and we hosted people in our homes over and over and over. And, and you're, you all know this well, but when you host someone in your home, specifically over a meal, relationships tend to grow. We tend to have more conversation. We tend to share things with each other. Now, again, we have to be intentional in these moments. So when we have people into our homes, we do have to be intentional with how we're going to have those conversations and what we're going to talk about. Because if all we want to talk about is Monday night football, that's all we'll talk about. And our relationships won't grow and, and meaning won't happen. But if we want to share about the hurts and the joys and the struggles and, and we want people to pray for us, this should be the most normal thing that a Christian community has is when you're in darkness, when you're in hurt, when you're in pain, when there's difficulty happening in your life, that you could knock on someone's door within the church, they could invite you in, and you would know that you will be cared for, you will be fed, and you'll be prayed for. That should just be a given because we want to serve and bless one another. And I think so often we look at it with, oh, it might be awkward to pray for one another. And I think, the, what's the only way to fix that? Do it. And do it more. And do it often until it just becomes, this is what we do. This is who we are. And in uh, ancient Jewish culture, this idea of sharing a meal was actually a deeply intimate, relational idea. 
And as I was kind of thinking about this, is it's showing that God is our host, cares deeply for us, and wants to be deep in a relationship with us. But then it says, in the presence of my enemies. And I was wondering, is, what does this mean? And so I came across what uh, commentator Ross says. He says this, What was comforting to David was that all of this was taking place in the presence of his enemies. Despite impending danger, the Lord spreads out a table for him. God provides for him. Just because our circumstances haven't changed doesn't mean that we're not still at the banquet with the king. The enemies might be there. They might be trying to tear us down. And if you go back to John 10, when Jesus talks about being the shepherd, um, he says that the enemy exists to do what? To lie, kill, destroy. Right? Like that's what our enemies are trying to do to us. They're trying to tell us you don't deserve, you're not enough, all whatever they might be saying to us. And we need to remind ourselves in that moment that I'm at, the, I'm at a feast, I'm at a banquet with the king. This is not meant to be the end of your life. When Jesus, again, John 10, he says, I have come that you might have life and have what? Life to the full. Right? So he's not only talking about eternity, but also life here and now. That God wants us to have life of meaning and purpose and value. Again, this is not some kind of health, wealth, prosperity movement. It's not you should just have lots of stuff so that you find some kind of contentment. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that you have life of meaning, life that matters, life of value. This idea of anointing head with oil, it, it signifies that we were in mourning and that God has come to us and has poured oil over our heads to bring us out of this time of mourning. That we would be in presence with him, that we would be in an intimate relationship with him. When David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It, this is not, again, only. It, it might be partly, but it's not only this idea of eternity, but it's that for David, the goal of everything is to be with the Lord in his presence. And I, I was deeply, deeply convicted about that this week as I was thinking, is my goal today that I would have communion with God, that I would just be in his presence, and that I would be able to pray to and with him, and that I would be able to experience his presence, and is, is that my number one goal? And if I'm really honest with you, a lot of times it's not. And I'm really focused on, I have to do this today and accomplish this today. And so I'll, I'll do my devotions and I'll do my reading and I'll spend my time in the Word. But I also want to do all these things and my focus is so skewed. Now, I'm not trying to say you should quit your job and become a monk. That's not the point. But the point is, while we do everything that we do, is our goal that we would be present with the Lord? Or do we dichotomize it from, here's my spiritual life, here's the stuff that I do in the spiritual context, and then here's the rest of my life, and it has no bearing on God. That's not the way that we are called to be. We are called to be with the Lord, present with the Lord, and for David to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, is he simply saying this, is that God's love and his care for me is constantly after me. I, I 
listen to Matt Chandler uh, teach through this, and he said it this way, is that God's mercy and goodness are nipping at your heels all the time. Because God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be right there with you. He wants to be blessing you. Now, some of those blessings are here and now, but much of that blessing is simply knowing that I will be with the Lord forever. So no matter the hurt and the pain and the suffering that I face now is I will be with Jesus forever. Let me ask you this to close. And I already said this, but what are you chasing after this morning? Are you looking for some kind of a a number in your bank account so that you can retire? Are you looking for some kind of a specific job or career or a stage of life where fill in the blank? Or are you looking at it and saying, I want to be in the presence of the Lord and I'm going to chase after and run after him because he's the only thing that's going to satisfy. He's the only thing that's going to give me purpose and meaning from this moment all the way to the end and through eternity. May we chase after him. Let's pray. God, we know these words in the psalm well and and many have probably memorized it. But God, I pray that when we come to sections of Scripture like this that we know really well, that we wouldn't just read it really fast and and recite it from memory, but we would look at it and see what it's trying to say to us. Is God, this morning I confess that I desperately need a shepherd, someone to lead and to guide and to care for. And God, I thank you that in the blood of Jesus that Jesus laid down his life, that he was the good shepherd for us. And God, I pray that we would constantly be brought back to the truth of that. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, that our sin can be forgiven. God, would you remind us of the hope that we have that despite what this world is going to throw at us, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how painful, no matter the bad news that we might get one day from a phone call, is that we can still trust that you are with us and that one day that we will be able to be with you for eternity. And no amount of hurt or suffering that we face this side of eternity will have compared to what's coming. A life with you without pain, without hurt, without tears. God, we look so much forward to that day. And so God, for anyone here this morning who has been distracted from what's truly important or or is facing deep discouragement and hurt and, and the circumstances of life seem overwhelming right now, God, I pray that they would take heart that you are the shepherd and that you are the host, that you care for us that in you we can find all that we need. God, we love you. We continue to ask that you would reveal these truths from Scripture to our hearts, especially in these moments that we are reminded of our need of you. Thank you for all that you give to us. God, go with us this week. Give us wisdom with how to live. Keep us focused on what's truly important. 
and give us the perspective that we need each and every day. God, we love you. Amen.